people only said fashion, fashion. It was always fashion. You either, you either had to be in the heart of it or ahead of it, but you can never be behind it. Let me tell you one thing. When you have style, you can wear sable to church. Or something really classy, like, like white leather. Hi, it's me, Can't Not. I am so excited to be speaking to Clarissa of Ammo Vintage, cowgirl boots layer, and your go-to source for hot, iconic 90s and 2000s designers like Galliano, Dolce & Gabbana, Roberto Cavalli, Gucci, and much more across ready-to-wear shoes and accessories. Hello. Hello. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. I'm so excited to talk to you. I've been really looking forward to this one. Oh, me too. Let's just dive right in. Can you tell us where you're from and what brought you to fashion? Sure. So I'm from a town in England called um, Kent, which is bordering London. Um, and I would say for me, my journey kind of started really probably at school. Growing up in a small town, like as a teenager in the early 2000s, um, one of my main influences at the time was what people were wearing around me. And, you know, it was kind of definitely the era of subcultures and it was so identifiable at that point. So you had your mm -hmm. club girls and your grunge girls and it was really important to be part of a group, I suppose, for like a sense of belonging. For us, it was like the era of MTV music videos and you had all these different references going around. And I remember feeling kind of quite stifled by the restrictions of that, never having enough budget for it and always trying to sort of push a look to its limit. So, for example, uh, there was a huge phase in that era of hair extensions. Um, and I remember oh, my God. Like, yes. <laughs> do you remember I that? had some. <laughs> I definitely had hair extensions. <laughs> Wait, clip-ins? <laughs> So for me, um, I had a £2.50 glue that smelt like fish um, <laughs> and I bought a pack of 24-inch uh, bright blonde ones that were not the same shade as my hair, but it was just kind of to see how far I could kind of push the limits of what was, you know, kind of yeah. going on in the area. And I think for me, it was almost that was kind of when I started learning that I really kind of wanted to express myself further than the things that were immediately available to me. Yeah. The hair extensions was a pivotal moment. <laughs> it really was. What because do you think the hair extensions, what kind of subculture were they really present in? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? So for me, I think I was kind of like in between like a couple of different groups. So I have my kind of like clubbing girls that like I'd go out with and, you know, we'd be watching like, um, Paris Hilton and you know like that kind of we wanted that kind of vibe hair and you'd go out and you'd have like yeah. the shops where you'd like the identical dresses in every different color um mm -hmm. brava skirts all that kind of thing and then I had Rara my skirts. other group of friends <laughs> yeah but then my other group of friends were much more sort of involved in sort of like alternate music and they would also get the extensions but they would use like a comb to just back comb it so it would yeah. be like super, super high on my head. But it was like a real sort of like integral point of like school would be like in the toilet, sorting your extensions out with your with your mousse. Um, <laughs> you had like over the sink. Oh my God. We must have kind of grown up in the same time period. Similar to when you border London. It's like I bordered New York and, and yeah, the, the hair extensions was a thing. The backcombing was a thing. I, I fully fully relate to this 
did you guys used to do the thing where we had it around here where you would use like either like a concealer or a foundation and you would do that on your lips and it would make it like the same color as your face and then you put like a clear lip gloss over the top. lip gloss on top yeah yes <laughs> that and then we had this thing where nobody could really afford to buy like liquid eyeliner so you'd get like a cold pencil and then just burn it melt it and then put it straight on Oh my, no, okay, so I've never heard of that. That's amazing. <laughs> Pushing oh things to the extremes here since the 2000s. <laughs> Why did we want our lips the same color of our skin? I have, no, I have no idea, but it was kind of like not cool if you didn't do it, wasn't it? No. Yeah, I mean, it was, there was no kind of, at that point, there was no kind of like appreciation for like, does this suit you? Is it good for your bone structure? is this particularly flattering it was just like it was kind of like a uniform I suppose yeah like really plucked eyebrows and no lips but it was so I think that's the thing about that kind of time period for me and I guess it sounds similar for you was it was definitely a case of if other people are doing it then that's you kind of you just end up doing it yourself and I think that was kind of the thing for me that I was actually quite uncomfortable with doing but was also like a huge participant in you know and that was kind of probably where I then started looking to kind of branch out that almost right I was gonna ask your fashion trauma but was that kind of it I think what happened for me was I left school at 16 and went to art college um and from there I met like a whole new group of friends and we'd start going to the charity shops at lunch um, and find pieces to like recontextualize for the weekend or and things like that um, and that kind of combined with leaving school and learning about like art history and films and fashion outside of what I'd seen at school and in my hometown kind of gave me a lot of scope to start experimenting and obviously a lot of mistakes were made at this point I couldn't even call it a fashion trauma because that whole period of time was very up and down um, <laughs> It could be good one day and then the next month I'd like to not remember. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You spoke about doing charity shops when you were a teenager and creating looks with your friends. Is that where it begins to evolve? Yeah, I'd say so because, you know, at the time I started to be able to learn like what makes something like a wearable piece. And obviously with all the mistakes of things that I was buying, at the same time I was picking up pieces that I still have now and often I'd see things and think okay maybe this piece isn't great for me but it would be great for my friend or for an art project because at the time I was specializing in fashion at college and then went on to do fashion at uni and then mm -hmm. went on to a career in styling so I was often kind of picking things up and thinking oh this would be great to sort of recontextualize and add to the shoot and from there I ended up building enough of a collection to launch the shop in 2020. Okay so you sell vintage clothes and heels but when I think of your account I think cowgirl boots typically yeah. it's hard to find this style of boot in the UK from my experience but you've not only found them, but they're really fun details and colorways. Without revealing your sources, can you tell how this came about? Yeah, I would say it was because I had such a large personal collection of them. Um, and I know I'm going back over what I've said already, but when me and my friends were younger, we would get 
so much stuff, so much stuff, and then we'd end up kind of shifting it. And I realised, for me, one of the things that I'd always kept was the boots. You know, Mm -hmm. they had such a kind of uh, wearability to them. For me, when I started the shop, I Mm -hmm. started with only 12 items. Um, And the first couple of things that sold were shoes. And then a friend of mine suggested that I put a couple of pairs of shoes up that I'd collected that weren't my size um, and they sold overnight. Mm -hmm. So for me, that was kind of the turning point to really kind of push doing what I loved. It's so interesting because it's such a like Western kind of, yeah. like, it's not a very British style. No. The cowgirl boot. No. Were you finding these in the UK or? The first few pairs I definitely got in the UK. Um, they're not easy to find over here at all. Um, yeah. So it is a lot of routing um, and it mm. takes a lot of time and that's why our batches are quite small when we release them um, right. especially because we're so kind of considerate of you know the style and not wanting to just put something up because it's a certain category it has to have the kind of style um, the details and it has to really fit in with what we're selling so it does take a long time yeah but I think the thing for me was when I first got my first pair it really it made me feel so confident I quickly kind of noticed that it was a style of shoe that kind of transcended seasons and borders so for me it has kind of a cult status that is hard to find with many other types of footwear so it's worth the hunting for do you do a lot of your hunting in person or kind of a bit of both I'd say it's a bit of both mm. um I think that a lot of our followers would know that we don't really shy away from the fact that we spend a lot of time in Italy um mm. and what I find interesting over there is if you go to like the really high-end designer stores they'll have Gautier Mugler, Lumarine, Galliano, and then cowboy boots next to it. So for them, they see oh, really? the cowboy boots as as integral to vintage, um, as really high end designer. And I think that for me, having spent such a long time over there for years, has definitely influenced the mix of products that I have available on the site. You have a lot of those like iconic vintage Italian designers and they are adjacent to cowboy boots, cowgirl boots. So you've yeah. really like taken this Italian essence to your shop. Yeah, it's um it's it's interesting over there how they how they see the design of that as being as important to the kind of like culture and history of vintage mm-hmm. as say for instance some of the, the designers that we've spoke about so that was something that I really kind of wanted to show within the collections that I do do you have anything any insight of like how they're made and and you know their durability and that kind of thing so I didn't used to, but a couple of years ago, my friend got me a really good Christmas present um, called The Art of the Boot. It kind of talks about the fact that obviously they were originally designed for cowboys um, and the different styles of toes were for different activities. So some of them were more for kind of walking and trekking and some of them were more for riding. But Mm -hmm. the part of the boot that I think is the most important is that they are designed for for longevity. And so therefore to 
sort of make a cowboy boot, you have to be thinking about the fact that this is a piece that someone is potentially going to be wearing every single day. It needs to be durable. Um, mm. And the, the design of it, if it doesn't have that, it's not correct. So um, we tend to find that with traditional cowboy boots that they are repairable um, because they're yeah. made to last. So yeah. it, it, it rarely happens. I've never, never seen one that's been beyond repair. They're the ultimate like vintage shoe to collect, aren't they? Because you can really have them forever. I had a guest on that they were like, we want things that you can pass on for generations, you know, that type of quality. And it's really hard to find yeah. that these days. And so I feel like the cowboy boot, the cowboy boot, I, I don't know which one to call it. <laughs> like cowboy, cowgirl. <laughs> um, but that, that definitely is a representation of that. When does a shoe become unrepairable? So I would say that if it's made with an ill-chosen material, it can wear down over time. So often you'll find that the shoes that become unrepairable are well, the replicas that are made, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they're made with a, a fake leather, you're going to have problems. Um, okay because it's just easier for the material to peel or it can rip again if it's if it's a replica of a cowboy boot it's not going to have the same sort of structural qualities that's actually needed for it to be worn in the real world in its real context so you so you are going to fall into some issues with it over time um but luckily for for us we can kind of tell immediately if the item's going to last by looking at kind of who it was made by Mm -hmm. um because all of these brands, you know, they have a reputation to withhold and it's it's never the case that they'll just have one item and it's going to not be in line with the rest of the quality controls that they have. Is that how you can tell if a boot is a replica by the brand? And is there certain things you look for? Yeah, so there's a lot of like reputable um, brands that we sell on the site. But then we also sell a lot of Italian leather cowboy boots. Mm-hmm. as well which aren't necessarily always branded but if they're Italian leather it's one of the best types of leather in the world it's something to do with the way that they treat it um mm-hmm. but with things like that you know that you're not going to run into issues and if you check the heels on them a lot of the times these things will be designed that if they're going to be worn over time they will need rehealing but if you've got a good structure you're fine yeah And have you noticed like a difference in the quality of vintage shoes? Because, you know, I know you don't just do cowboy boots, but like vintage designer shoes versus newly made ones. I think the newly made shoes can also be of good quality, of course. And it's not Mm -hmm. to say that necessarily anything vintage is an immediately better condition. But Mm -hmm. the designs that we sell are ones that are only made to last. Things turn around so quick now that if you're buying a piece that's say 20 years old um, and it's still around now, chances are it will be in 20. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. It's the turnaround time and like the mass production of things. I think it's just affecting the quality of what's coming out now. Yeah. yeah. And I think for me as well, it's like if there's so many sort of existing pieces that are still in such wearable condition, then it only makes sense for me to be providing those pieces with a platform. Do you have any favorite pieces that you found that you can't let go of? 
Yeah, so that's, we have an archive as well, um, which tend to go for editorials or music videos and things like that. And some pieces that I've found over the years, I just, there's, I can't, I'd cry if they went. So those pieces <laughs> go on there. Um, okay. There's like a pair of El Dante's Fi High boots with a 69 sign on the top, which I just think are one of the funnest things I've ever seen in my life. That um, is really fun. They're just, that's the thing. I think if it's something that I'm going to feel sad about selling, then I won't sell it. <laughs> well, it's good to have the archive option where you can just like rent it out. Yeah, but in my personal collection, there's a pair of also thigh high. I don't know what the thigh high thing is about at the moment, but here we are. Um, a pair of thigh high kind of Western cream tassel boots that I got from a flea market in 2016. Um, that Wait, thigh high Western boots. Yeah, they're they're really quite special. They're really fun and they have like a metal cap on the bottom, so they're really gonna be fine forever. Um Oh my god. Yeah, so pieces like that, I think this is I am also one of my own customers, so it makes sense for me to keep hold of that. <laughs> Wait, how many shoes do you personally own in your own collection? Like your personal closet. <laughs> um, you know? Honestly, I couldn't say, but not as many as you might think. I have my core collection, which is pieces I've found over the years and can't let go of. Uh, a mix of stripper yeah. shoes, cowboy boots and designer heels. Over time, I've kind of learned to narrow that down mm -hmm. to things that I would wear over and over again. Okay, love that. <laughs> What do you think the most sought after vintage shoes are at the moment? So for ammo, I kind of try not to think about that too much. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the aim with us is to offer pieces that resonate with people on kind of a deeper level than trends. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, it's something important to keep an eye on. But when I'm buying something for myself, um, you mentioned that um, one of your other guests said the same thing I always ask myself kind of two questions is this something you can imagine wearing when you're a granny or is this something you could pass down to a, gen a younger generation and mm -hmm. so for for me if the answer is yes to either of those two it's going in the basket um, and obviously great. for us it's great that cowboy boots are popular but in my mind they always have been all iconic women in history have had a pair and I can't see that changing anytime soon. I can't see that changing either. I have one pair of cow girl boots. I need another one for sure. For I need sure. like an everyday one and I will get them from you. I recommend you to like all my friends who've been like, I need cowgirl boots. I'm like, this is the show. Oh, thanks so <laughs> much. I think that's the thing with them. There's so much, even in terms of like the heels and the front toes, mm. there are with the different styles, you know, you can have your pair that are more like your party boot wear, where it might be maybe more of an Italian boot with a bit of a heel on, um, with a more slim line, or you can go for something kind of like a Mexican traditional flat boot, which is going to be a more kind of everyday boot. And I think that's the thing that's fun about like building to a collection. Off their own back, they 
correspond with trends without meaning to like the toe shape it morphs within different trends we had the square toe for the past couple years and now I feel like it's going back into the really pointy toe but cowboy boots already have those variations so you can dip into trends with those boots depending on like so many different factors of the silhouette for sure and I think that's the thing and I think once you kind of have a collection of the the different styles it works really well within your own wardrobe because you know you've got your pairs that are more kind of like suitable for wearing with like a trouser in the winter or you know like a pair that you might want to wear to a festival or a pair that you might want to wear to work like and that's kind of the toe shape kind of corresponds with exactly what you were saying like with regards to that but it's really easy to implement that within your own wardrobe yeah do you have a favorite shoe era or shoe designer I don't have a favorite designer but you know obviously I do have a penchant for the early 2000s um so for me like the majority of what say Dolce and Gabbana Galliano Tom Ford for me is probably like my pinnacle era because nostalgia is fun yeah I agree um (laughs) You can't take the 2000s out of a girl. <laughs> no, no, not the girl who grew up in it. <laughs> it's there embedded in our like, identity. <laughs> For sure. And I think it's fun as well to see like newer generations almost kind of tapping into that and also for our generation to be able to sort of re-tap into that with a bit more freedom than we had at the time. So it's kind of like we're reclaiming it back in our own way. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's what makes it something that resonates with such a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I think it's so cute. I love when like I see younger people and they're like in a full on Y2K aesthetic and they fully commit. But because I'm a bit older, the rise of my jeans have gone down a bit and I'm like now in a mid rise, not super low, not high, but you know, like dip into that nostalgia in subtle ways for sure and you can notice so much of a difference like I'd be the same as you in terms of like I'm I'm like obsessed with that like clingy fabric Mm. that was around at the time but the way that I would wear it would be yeah like so much different to the younger generation for instance my daughter is 13 and she's really kind of taking the 2000s by the horns in the sense of like putting every single piece layered together to kind of like create that aesthetic oh my god that must Um, be so fun for you to watch (laughs) it's really fun and it's it's so so funny to see her like wearing my old stuff like in a new way um but then that really does just go to show like how quickly time goes doesn't it because I'm like how is this happening (laughs) yeah well everything's just kind of moving faster I feel like as well but yeah Yeah, for sure I totally remember like now that this is happening I like remember wearing something when I was younger and like an adult being like we used to wear that when I was your age and I'd be like shut up you're so embarrassing I remember saying to my mum, like, where is all your 80s stuff? And she'd be like, got rid of it. So I think for me, that was why I've tried to keep hold of so much stuff because, you know, it always does come back around. Totally. Your daughter is definitely very lucky to have a collector (laughs) as a mother. What is your dream shoe to find? Okay, so in um, 2011, there was an auction of Anna Nicole Smith's personal wardrobe. 
Um, and they sold two or three lots of her personal cowboy boots collection. If I could ever locate those, that would be my dream shoe to find. Oh my God, that's so good. That is such a good answer. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> there are images of the boots online. There are. There are. And it's so nice because they're all the different collections they've done are like color coordinated and they <gasps> sold for way less than they should have done. I don't understand why. And it wasn't that long ago. I'm sure you can find them. And then if you had to make a shoe yourself, what style would it be? Honestly, for me, I think there's so many amazing existing shoes in existence. Um, I find myself really lucky to be able to spend my days finding them. So I'm, to be honest, I'm quite happy with, you know, finding, finding old shoes, making them new. Uh, never making shoes. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and then do you have a dream client? Share. Yeah, icon. I feel like there's no explanation needed for that no, one. No, there's no explanation needed. Let's move on to the end, which is this little can't, can't not. I've been so excited for this part. Oh, God. Well, I hope it doesn't disappoint. It's very random. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first one is Birkenstocks. Can't. Next one is Made in Chelsea can't i have like a weird weakness for that show and it needs to stop maybe it's because i'm not british and i'm fascinated by that whole like i don't know what that is <laughs> yeah but i just find it really interesting but yeah fair enough uh, the next one is sneaker wedges can't it's too much of a hybrid for me. I'm a traditional gal. <laughs> Good. Love it. Okay. And lastly is a BBL. That's a really good one. Um, I think can't not. Love that. Great. Really? I just think do what you want. I fully agree. Do what you want. And do you what makes you feel good and do what makes you happy. Yeah. <laughs> okay and then we'll just end on if you have like a style tip for the listeners I would just say wear stuff that makes you feel good um and don't be shy perfect thank you so much this has been really fun oh, thanks so much for having me I've been so excited it's been fun thank you cool thank you Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye.